This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. And if you have modern or ultra-modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email joe at gregmorriscards.com directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 135 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, we are getting oh so close to the new NBA season. I hope you guys are getting excited. I know I am. Um, If you follow your favorite team on social media, you probably noticed that Media Day was earlier this week. This sport is year-round now, and I feel like the last season just ended, but you know what? You won't hear any complaints from me. And um, I've always been intrigued with Panini's approach to Media Day, and I've never seen them actually represented at Media Day. Uh, You know, maybe they are, but um, I've seen them use the pictures plenty of times. And I, I think the most obvious example is the Kevin Durant Brooklyn photos. Um, you know, the ones that have shown up on cards for like two years. I'm pretty sure the majority of those were from the 2019 Media Day. And I've noticed if a bigger star changes teams, they're more likely to acquire those pictures and use them in an earlier set like Prism. We saw it with Kimba Walker when he went to the Celtics. We saw it with Russell Westbrook when he went to the Rockets. Uh, But then a guy like TJ Warren, they might have him in an old team's uniform for like 75% of the season's releases. So um, all of that is to say, I'm curious to see if any moments from this year's media day make it onto Panini cards. I would expect it. Um, I always like seeing those photos, especially if it's a guy that's changed teams. And um, Panini cards, that's what I'm here to talk about today, or cards in general, I should say, my usual And uh, my plan for this show is to talk about uh, one piece of mail, and then I have the next installment of my listener mailbag for you. I answered 26 questions this time, more than I've ever had to answer. It was a lot of fun piecing this one together, so you'll want to make sure you stick around for that. Um, Okay, so as I alluded to, the mail was pretty light this week. I only have one piece to talk about. Um, A week or so ago, someone listed a Malcolm Brogdon Elite Status Parallel numbered 7 of 7 on eBay. And they spelled Malcolm wrong, but I still think it was, you know, most people are probably searching Brogdon if they're looking for him in the first place. Well, before I could even run my usual status search, a couple people reached out to me with the listing. Uh, That's why this, this hobby is so awesome. Networking is so awesome. Social media is so awesome in some cases. So... Uh, Thank you very much for that, those of you that did reach out to me. I ended up winning it somewhere around $12 shipped, which was lower than I expected. So I was very happy about that. It goes great with my Cassius Stanley jersey numbered 2 out of 2. So now I just need Miles Turner, 33 out of 33, and Sabonis, 11 out of 11. I don't think any other Pacers were in that set. 
Um, but if you have either one of those two cards, please let me know. And if you're interested in seeing that Brogdon that I just talked about, I went ahead and posted it on my Instagram when I received it. I realize I don't always get cards posted when I talk about them. My apologies, so I made sure this one's already there. Feel free to check that out uh, if you want to. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle. Grind. Spam. Profit. We're the Rip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so I was trying to uh, map out some upcoming episodes when I realized I haven't done a listener mailbag in about two months. I think the last time I did it was an episode that aired while I was at the National. So we have the NBA season officially starting soon, and things are about to pick up. So it seemed like as good a time as any to fit one in. And I have to give you guys credit. You covered a wide range of topics. And there really weren't any questions that overlapped. So with that being said, I tried as best as I could to lump uh, similarly themed questions together just to keep things moving. I also tried to answer at least one question from everyone that asked. Um, So anyway, enough of the intro. Let's jump right in with question number one, which comes from at BigSmoothTX, who asks, In your opinion, what are the pros and cons of using ComC? How often do you request shipments of cards purchased on their platform? Okay, so um, overall, I would say I'm a fan of ComC, and um, you've seen me before. I've been critical of them when I felt like it was warranted. Um, I was really disappointed with how they handled things in 2020. Um, I will say I don't think it was all COVID-related like they made you believe. I think some of it, just the infrastructure wasn't that good to begin with. But um, it looks like they're on the right track now, so hopefully all those mishaps are in the past. I'm not here to complain about all that stuff again. I will say ComC is awesome. If you want to move a bunch of low to mid-end stuff that you're too lazy to list yourself, uh, which I would put myself in that category, you make a big box full of cards, you send it to them, you let them do the work, and then you use the funds to purchase cards you actually want and from multiple sellers while still only paying one shipping fee. So I really like that aspect of it. Um, The downside, it can take a while for them to process everything. Shipping has been really rocky over the past year. Um, Right now, I'd probably only request a couple of shipments per year. If things were optimized a little better, I'd probably bump that up to three or four, but I'm not sure if we're at that point yet. I kind of let other people try that out. But um, I'm still a big fan of the site. I haven't sent them cards in a long time, maybe, you know, a year and a half, maybe two. Uh, I used to send them stuff that I couldn't move at card shows, but now a lot of, you know, people are, their tastes are changing and a lot of stuff that was more niche stuff I I can actually move in person. So I haven't had to really go to that ComC box, but I think that day will come though and, and I'd be happy to send stuff their way. And that segues to the next question from a listener named Rudy. He says, what's the best way to sell cards $5 and below? Now, for me, 
Um, the best option is actually to sell at a local show. I, I've mentioned it before. Maybe I mentioned it on my YouTube, but at the Tampa convention, I did really well with like 2 to $5 stuff, which I didn't anticipate at all. It was just a lot of stuff I had laying around and I hadn't top-loaded and, and prepped for sale for a long time. So I did really well with that kind of stuff. Um, you know, in the past, I would have sent that stuff to ComC. I don't know if I would now. You know, I try and send stuff that's worth a little bit more than that, maybe 5 to $10 at least. Um, I've seen people using Whatnot for quick sales. I don't, I haven't used that, so I can't speak to that. I've seen people on Twitter doing stack sales. Um, that seems like a lot of work to me, but I've, I've seen people are really successful with that and people seem to really enjoy those. Um, so I, you know, reach out to someone that's on one of those platforms and they can verify that. I don't, I don't want to put words into their mouth, but those look like options to me and I at least want to share them so you can look into them further. Okay. Uh, late 90s B-Ball asked, do you think the increased tax regulations being imposed on eBay or similar platforms for both buyers and sellers will significantly drive lower in sales to card shows or in-person settings? Well, um, it's really hard to make any real predictions about all this tax stuff because, um, at least from what I've seen, I don't know if, if, you know, if it's fully materialized or if it's still, you know, if, if it hasn't been pushed through yet. I'm not any kind of expert there politically or with taxes, uh, but what I will say, no matter what happens, I've noticed that people will find loopholes to get around it. Um, that's just the way it is with any rule that's imposed in any aspect of life. I'm not advocating that. I'm not suggesting you do that. I'm just saying uh, people will find a way around whatever limitations or restrictions they feel are imposed on them. All right, the next question comes from Paul a.k.a. the Bouvier, or Bouvier, I think is what how he said to pronounce it, who asked, what is the single best card, one card, that exists in the history of basketball? Not by price, but by significance. And why? Explain your reasoning. So I guess the question is really, what do I think is the most significant basketball card in history? And, um, man, this seems like such a cop-out, but the first card that came to my mind was the 86 Fleer Jordan. And I said, no, no, no. You know, I told myself initially, no, no, no. That's too easy of an answer. Think harder. Um, I, you know, I know it wasn't a popular set when it came out. I know there are a lot of people who say it's not his true rookie card. I know it's not a rare card, but it has a lot of things going for it. And I actually think the fact that it's not really rare is a good thing. Something can be um, important and accessible at the same time. That's okay. And in fact, that's part of what makes it important to me. Also, it has an iconic picture on it. And when the league started marketing around stars, Magic and Bird got things going, but I don't know where the league would be without Jordan. And on top of that, the set was the foundation for the modern era of basketball cards, um, something that has had a huge and profound impact on me. So I started with that answer, and I'm going to stick with the 86 Fleer Jordan. And uh, I still need to get me one of those, too. I don't have a Jordan rookie. Um, I, I was looking at them when they were a little more accessible. I passed. I went with the Wilt rookie. I don't regret that, but Jordan shot up, and I, I, don't, I don't think that they necessarily should be ex expensive as they are, even though I don't determine that. But anyway, uh, that's for another day. Um, average underscore Joe, or Joey, J-O-E-E, Ask, how about a top five worst junk wax era basketball sets of all time? Um, okay, so remember, this is just my opinion or my preference. And I know, 
I know the early Skybox sets were important. I wasn't collecting yet when they came out. I know it was good to have something different and something to break away from some of the more traditional designs. But hear me out, 1990 and 91 Skybox is the ugliest base set of all time. And I, I wish I could put that on this list five times. Um, but I can't. Maybe I can. I don't know. But I won't. Uh, so I'll follow that up by selecting 9192 Skybox, which should have come with the subtitle Still Ugly. And um, they made a mini set of those, which was the same um, ugly set, just smaller, on smaller pieces of cardboard. And, um, you know, I'll stop there with Skybox because I, I thought the integration of a game photo or, or backgrounds, I guess I should say, improved the set in 92-93. Um, one unpopular choice I might add here would be the 1993-94 Fleer NBA Jam Session. I don't think the cards themselves are ugly, but they're tall. And... Um, you know, there are some exceptions with vintage, but otherwise I don't like when cards aren't the traditional size. It bothers me. Everything is made for traditional sizes. Stick with it. Um, now if we deviate from the NBA license stuff, I thought a lot of the draft sets from around that time were hideous. 1991 classic draft picks looks like an old, um, maybe like marble kitchen counter. Gross. Um, 1992 wild card. Awful. Um, I don't know where I'm at now in the count, but I, I think I named at least five. So sorry if I just bashed one of your favorite sets. Next question comes from Blemished underscore Gems. He said, what are your favorite sets from the last 10 years that have been discontinued? Well, some of these might have shown up again in um, you know Chronicles or some other product, but I'm going to go with Past and Present, Innovation, and Gold Standard. All right, on Twitter... I can't forget my Twitter listeners. Nathan, a.k.a. AZ underscore card underscore collector ask, what is your favorite regional or oddball set of all time? And speaking of oddball regional sets, Nathan traded me a Paul Silas Carnation milk panel recently. I don't think I talked about it on the show, but I showed it in one of my YouTube videos. So uh, this question is fitting coming from him. And as cool as the milk panels are, they, you know, they're, they're tall once again. Um, although this, the set I'm going to name is odd size too, but, uh, those carnation panels lack the star power of a set like cons wieners, which I like that set. Um, if you'll recall, I, I believe I talked about those some in an episode with Kirk. They mainly featured the Cincinnati Royals and then some guys that went to college in the region as well. So that means we got guys like Oscar Robertson and Jerry Lucas uh, Marie Stokes had an early cons card. I think that's important. So, you know, 1957 Tops is not his only card. And uh, then Jerry West was a regional edition. So that is not a bad checklist at all, in my opinion. Uh, the Bouvier asked, what impact and whom outside of Wilt did the Harlem Globetrotters have in the world of basketball? How did they impact the collecting world? Well, I know I've been saying this for... Probably well over a year now, I've been meaning to do a Globetrotters episode, and I still think that someday I will. I just don't know when, but when it comes to all things Globetrotters, I recommend the book Spinning the Globe by Ben Green. Great book. And um, he goes into detail in there, but the Globetrotters did quite a bit to help integrate the game. In fact, they played a, a series of games against the Lakers over the years. They won a pair of them in the late 40s. That was a really big deal you know, beating Mike in the NBA's first superstar. Um, 
you know, so much so I think that those two games really started the integration process in 1950. And former Globetrotter Nat Clifton was signed by the Knicks in 1950. That was a pretty big deal. All of that stuff predated Wilt. And now, as far as their impact on the collecting world, I don't know if there's a direct correlation there. By the time we got a dedicated Globetrotter set in the early 70s, the Globetrotters had kind of changed into something much different than they once were. And I, I don't... I don't say that out of disrespect. You know, I, I still, you know, you look at guys like Meadowlark Lemon and Curly Neal. Um, they, you know, they were great for the game, but it, it wasn't an entertaining, competitive, culturally relevant squad to the degree that it used to be, at least from what I've read. So um, their impact on the game, the Globetrotters' impact on the game was huge. Their impact on cards, not so much, in my opinion. All right, at cards, 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 cards ask hey love the podcast and youtube videos really great content my question is do you think long term 20 to 25 year time junk wax baseball football and basketball cards of the greats in mint plus condition will increase greatly in value thinking guys like bonds nolan ryan Favre, Shaq, mj etc cheers well i want to preface this response by noting that um I think talking about future values can be a dangerous game, and it's one that I normally don't play. Um, but I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit here, cautiously. I think long-term value is always going to be attached to significance. Maybe that's maybe I'm just biased because that's the way I collect. I collect what I think is important or what's important to me. Um, now a lot of other people are doing that too. Which is why you know you see trying to you see people trying to speak significance into cards that really don't have any and you know probably shouldn't. Um, now, honestly, I can't see junk wax stuff being any more significant than it is right now, and and that's not much, by the way. Um, I don't think long-term collectors ever really valued it once the hobby moved out of that phase. We knew it was mass-produced; it hadn't been important for over twenty years. Um, recently a lot of people came into the hobby and it had a brief moment again. You know, everything kind of had its run over the last two years. Then those collectors or whatever you want to call them realized these cards are junk. They realized there were a million copies. They realized some of them that they were being preyed on by people making content and by a lot of the people that came before them. And then if they were investing in stuff like 1990 Skybox, they realized a lot of the cards were just ugly. Um, on top of that, I, I'm not sure how uh, how much those players that you mentioned will appeal to future generations. You know, um, it, it, it's hard telling Bonds. Like, I don't, I don't know. You know, people tried to kind of scrub him out of the history books. People didn't always enjoy watching Bonds. Uh, Nolan Ryan has a lot more significant stuff out there than the 90s junk wax. I'm sure they'd rather grab a a 68 tops Ryan Kuzman card. Um, So it's hard telling. So anyway, I went a little longer there than I intended, but my short answer is no. I don't think they'll increase greatly in value. All right, next question is from at Mayfaz underscore cards underscore eight. He said... um, Will true RPA baseball cards eventually have value over time? Uh, like I said on the previous question, I don't really do a lot of value speculation. And then um, to talk about this one, you know, I have baseball cards, but I'm not really a baseball guy either. So I can't help you out much there. 
Um, I know I've looked at this person's page that asked this question. They've got some nice cards. They've got some baseball RPAs. You know, if you like them, buy them. That's as simple as that. If you like them, buy them. All right, next question comes from at 77 NCAA champs. They said, as a teacher, do you see students at your school express interest in the hobby? And then also, do you tell your students you collect? Well, um, unfortunately, I don't see students expressing interest in the hobby. Um, Although, to be fair, I'm not really encouraging it either. I'm not discouraging it, but I'm not trying to force it on them. And ever since I started the podcast, I haven't told them I collect because really... um, you know, as much as I'd love to introduce them to the hobby, I don't want them all over my social media. I, you know, I don't want them really in that sector of my life. And there's nothing explicit there. There's nothing they couldn't see. I just don't want those two worlds to collide. Um, I feel like it could ruin something. So I've always tried to keep pretty secure boundaries between myself and students. Um, air in the abundance of caution, right? Now, uh, there was one year where I taught a sixth grade class and there was a unit that had a pair of stories about Jackie Robinson and the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. So I brought in some tobacco cards and some baseball cards from different eras as kind of an icebreaker. And they seemed intrigued by that, but overall I'd say most of them are at the age where that kind of stuff isn't cool right now. You know, that's a big thing at the uh, middle school age. All right, Alex a.k.a. Connell underscore collection, a.k.a. an official top sketch card artist. I can call him that now. He said, start, bench, cut. Jeff Foster, Rick Smits, Roy Hibbert. Well, I'm going to base this off of today's NBA. So I'm going to start Rick Smits because he had a real nice mid-range and I, I think he could extend that in 2021. He'd be shooting the three. He could put the ball on the floor. So that's a good thing. I know he'd struggle defending on the perimeter. So, um, you know, that might not work against some teams. Um, I would bench Jeff Foster because I, I still think um, he's worth playing, right? I still think he's a, a utility guy that could stick around. And then, uh, sorry, Roy, but I'd cut Roy Hibbert. The league has just completely moved on from guys like him. In fact, they moved on from guys like Roy Hibbert while he was in the league, and it was a very strange, abrupt transition. We went from the verticality era to those guys just being extinct. Um, And I saw a a Denver Nuggets card of him the other day that reminded me of that. I don't know if he ever even played a game for the Nuggets, but that was right at the end. Okay, next question. At Japan Sports Cards asked, um, have you ever run into any players in social situations? I once met Reggie Miller in line for food at a 10,000 Maniacs concert at Deer Creek in the early 90s. I was wondering if you worked up the courage to say anything. This is a fun question. I like this. Um, Now, I've had quite a few interactions with athletes through my past autograph adventures. I don't really count those because most of those were at the venues associated with the game. Um, I I do have a couple of outside run-ins that come to mind, though. So when I lived in Charlotte... Um, I was leaving the midnight premiere of the Avengers. Um, and so it was like, you know, it was super late and I saw a figure coming toward me and I'm thinking this guy has got the longest arms I have ever seen. And he got a little closer and I realized it was Biz Mac Biombo, but, um, 
you know, I went to Bobcats games then, so I didn't really say anything because I had plenty of access to him at the arena. So it's like, you know what, I'll just let him enjoy Thor and Hulk and all those guys without some fan bothering him. Uh, now, there was one instance I can think of where I asked an athlete for a picture, and um, I was at Warp Tour in Orlando around 2008, and uh, I was there with a friend of mine, and, and um, we saw this giant shirtless man not far from us. My friend leans over and he goes, that dude looks like Mickey Rourke. Uh, I, I took another look at him and I said, no, 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 that looks like Kevin Nash. And then I looked again, wait a second, I think that actually is Kevin Nash. Um, now, the only thing that was throwing me off was that he had a tattoo sleeve on one arm, and I never remembered that from his wrestling days. I'd watched him growing up in WCW, and then I had actually seen him wrestle a few years before that at a TNA taping. I had a friend that was really into that, so we went, they were at uh, Universal. So um, I walk up to this guy. And I, I tried to discreetly be like, hey, are you Kevin Nash? <laughs> and uh, he's he's like, yeah. So um, I said, hey, will you take a picture? I pulled out my digital camera. Yes, this was 2008. And he agreed to take a picture. Uh, I must have tagged him in this on Facebook at some point or or somehow he saw it because years later he was trying to show off his post-surgery workout progress and he compared it to that picture with me. I didn't even see it. Uh, I think I was new to Instagram then, but my friend saw it and he tagged me. So uh, that was interesting that that picture ended up coming back around. So maybe if enough of you beg me to see it, I'll dig that picture out again and post it on my Instagram. Uh, we'll see. Okay, the next question is fitting then. Because you know what? Kevin Nash was a basketball player at the University of Tennessee. So Kyle, a.k.a. Clips and Vols, asked, Who would be a better pro wrestler, Giannis, Trey Young, or Kyrie Irving? Hmm. Uh, I think all three have some qualities that would work to their benefit around a ring. I've seen Giannis carrying a championship belt around. Seemed like a pretty natural fit. Um, now that he's put on all that muscle, I think he has a physical build to be pretty scary. Trey, on the other hand, not a menacing figure. But you know what? Neither was Rey Mysterio, um, who Kevin Nash once threw like he was a, a dart. But anyway, um, we saw Trey show up on WWE recently when they were at Madison Square Garden. Whoever scripted that is a genius. Uh, so obviously he was playing the heel there. You know, in the right setting, he could be a heel then. Uh, Kyrie, <laughs> I'm going to be careful here. Kyrie right now reminds me a little bit of Scott Hall or Shawn Michaels. Okay, so Scott Hall in the sense that you can't really depend on him to show up to work. And Shawn Michaels in the sense that he seems pretty miserable to work with. Um, I don't know. I might have to recycle this question back to social media to see what some of you listeners think. Are there any other players Kyle left out? Maybe Joel Embiid? I don't know. He's always felt like an NBA version of a heel to me. Okay. Um, at Tough Times Cards asks, are you a fan of coaches' autos? Seems very rare when Panini does put them in products. Would like to see it done more as a change of pace. Coaches' cards, I've talked about them before, absolutely. Um, although up to this point, the majority of the coach autos have been sticker autos. Um, kind of like the sets were an afterthought. 
Most of them were former players too, so I figure they're just grabbing the guys from the Retired Players Association. But yes, I want Coach Base Cards. I want Coach Gold Prisms. I want On-Card Coach Autos. I want Coach Relics. I want Coach Patch Autos. They're an important part to any team, and a lot of these guys have contributed quite a bit to the history of the game. So yes, sign me up. Next question, um, at Small Town Cards wrote, So we know you'll buy anything with a good patch, be it President's Choice or Leaf or whatever, but what would be your ideal memorabilia set, and has anything come close? Well, uh, my ideal memorabilia set would have three main characteristics. Number one, the patches need to be jumbo. Number two, the memorabilia needs to be game-dated from significant events. So I guess that's really two there. But uh, And then number three, they need to be standard card sizes. No tall cards, no booklets. There have been some awesome game-dated jumbo patches so far that were booklets. Um, so they were you know, close, but not quite. The Innovation Statline jerseys were close to fitting the criteria. And I do have some really nice patches still, but I wish the swatches were just a little bit bigger. There was one patch set that came close, uh, or at least gave us a a glimpse of what could have been. 2014-2015 Immaculate Special Event Jumbo Jerseys. It's a 67-card checklist, and most of the cards have a pretty small print run. Now, the Mark Aguirre... Of all cards, the Mark Aguirre from the set was the one real glimmer of hope. It was numbered to 10, and it features jumbo patches from a 1989 NBA Finals jersey he wore. And I actually own three of the 10 copies. But um, if every card in the checklist was that significant, we'd be talking about an absolutely historic set. Um, You know, I, I would put it up there with, the um, SP Game Use Letterman set that had like Russell and Wilt and Jordan. Um, but the, the the cards aren't that great in this set, unfortunately. It all trails off from there. We got a bunch of the Latin game jerseys. We got a bunch of Christmas jerseys, global games jerseys. The fact that they were tied to an event was pretty cool, but really the events didn't matter, or at least to me, I should say. I don't want to downplay the go- the global games for anyone, but to me, those don't matter. Um, All right, so that moves us to the next question from Steve, a.k.a. at Vintage Pacers. He said, anything specific that you're hoping to see from Panini before Fanatics takes over? Yes. I know they have a lot of significant material left over, be it from the NBA Finals, Christmas, whatever. Give us jumbo game-dated relics that are appropriately labeled. Put some time into these final sets and go out the right way. Um, You know, Upper Deck wasn't as perfect as a lot of people remember. Um, And their final few products were rushed, but they dumped a lot of patches and they went out of their way to label where the materials came from. Right now, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of faith in Panini to do the same. So please, Panini, prove me wrong. I would be very happy to be wrong in this instance. Okay, um, the next question comes from Eric, a.k.a. slangandrocks.pc. He asked, if a card company got a hold of NASPIS rules of basketball instead of Kansas University, um, would you be a buyer of a cut piece card? He said, by the way, I saw his grandson showing it off or shopping it around 2004. 
Um, well, you know, I would hate to see a relic of this magnitude chopped up, but at the same time, if, if somebody's going to make that horrible decision or make that mistake, I would love to own a piece of it. Um, I'm all about the history of the game and owning relics that represent that. So what better than the document that really started it all? Okay, Boston Area Correspondent at Showley 2003 wrote in and asked, How many hours per day or per week do you spend on social media? Too much. Too much. Um, I know there are settings that let you see how much time you're spending on an app. I don't look at those. I know I spend a ton of time on Instagram. Really more of it's messaging than scrolling through my feed. I don't really look at my feed all that often. Um, you know, I'm, it's in an odd spot because it's, you know, I kind of use that to promote or to talk about things that I talk about on my show. So it's been a great promotional tool, but yes, I'm on it a lot. Okay, um, Slang and Rocks ask, when is Card Roulette coming back to YouTube? So... Basketball Card Roulette was a series, or is a series, I should say, I have on my YouTube involving a roulette wheel in Com C. Um, I thought it was a fun little series. Basically, it was an excuse for me to talk about cards that I would randomly pick based off of a roulette wheel. Um, really, not a lot of people watched it, and I kind of shifted in a different direction with the channel. And uh, I feel like I've kind of gotten a groove now. I figured out what I want to do with that channel. I'm not sure if the roulette wheel's coming back, but I'm not. I'm definitely not going to say it's gone just yet. You know, if people really wanted to see it, I'd bring it back. Okay, Antoine underscore 3000 wrote, Can we expect merch anytime soon? Perhaps some stickers. Gotta rep the show. The good news is, um, there's already a sticker on my Spreadshirt store. And you can access that by going either to the Podbean website, you can go to waxmuseumpodcast.com. I think there's a silhouette of a shirt. If you click on that, it'll take you to the merch store. Um, There's shirts on there. There's all sorts of things. There's mugs. There might even be COVID masks still. I don't know. I had a number of things that, you know, kind of basic items that they'll put your logo on. I haven't put much effort into stickers because I didn't know if there was a demand for them, but there are a couple on there at a dollar a piece. The only problem is it costs $3.99 for shipping, and I wish I had a better solution for that. I don't really handle my merch. Somebody else, another company does that. Just I don't move a lot of of merchandise. That's not really something that I I focus on. But if there's a real big demand for stickers um, and the $3.99 price is a hang-up, I'm sure we can figure something out. Okay, the next question comes from New York City Hoops Collector. He asked for my thoughts on the new Ron Artest podcast after listening to episode number one. Well, I hadn't listened to it yet when I originally got this message. And um, this user and I had corresponded before and he had suggested it then. I still hadn't got to it. So this question motivated me. I'm like, you know what? I need to finally listen to this. So I did it while I was driving to and from work on Monday and uh, I really enjoyed it. So... For those of you that haven't seen it yet or heard it yet, Ron has a new podcast called Metaphorically Speaking, and the first guest was Jermaine O'Neal. Now, I knew it would be brawl-focused, right? And I kind of feel like I need a break from the brawl content. I've consumed a ton. I've created some. But there was some good stuff in there still, and it was good to hear two guys who hated one another uh, at one point so much put all that stuff behind them. 
Now, the thing that puzzled me a little bit at the start of the summer, Ron tweeted that he wanted to do a hundred different podcasts, and you guys even helped me lobby to get him on here. I saw him on a couple of big ones, but that was about it. So I was a little skeptical when I saw he had a new show. You know, I wasn't sure if it had a lot of staying power, but this one seems to have some good backing behind it between the Podcast One Network and a couple of sponsors. So um, I'm glad this user recommended it, and I'll definitely be listening again. Um, speaking of Ron Artest and speaking of the brawl, we've got a couple more questions related to that. Um, at the corner's finest ask how much would you pay for the artest malice jersey wow um i mean i first off i wouldn't be able to pay what it's worth and um i would love to own it though but i i don't know where it's at and quite frankly as cool as, as it would be to own that jersey it, it belongs somewhere much more important than my house so the only question would be where so i'm going to kind of pivot in my answer here I doubt the NBA would be happy with the Basketball Hall of Fame displaying it in Springfield. Um, I doubt the Pacers have any interest in commemorating an event that derailed their franchise for the better part of a decade. Um, The Palace is gone, right? Although that would be really interesting to have the Ron Artest jersey in the Palace. You'd have to put that behind so many inches of of glass. Um, Anyway, that's not an option now. You know, we need a traveling museum for basketball history. Have you guys seen that uh, show on A&E where the um, WWE sends representatives to former wrestlers' houses or different places and they look for significant relics? I I think the end goal there is to eventually furnish a uh, physical WWE Hall of Fame. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure the NBA could do something like that for a traveling basketball museum too. Maybe they could send it to all of the you know, arenas throughout the year. Um, I would absolutely love to be a part of something like that. So NBA TV, call me. Sticking with the brawl theme, at Pack to the Future podcast wrote, if given the chance, what would 2004 Kyle have said to John Green? Just to clarify, that's the gentleman, and I use that term loosely, who threw the cup of beer at Ron. 2004 Kyle was pretty tame though, so I imagine it would have been something that was typed out on a message board instead, and it would have been in all caps. Um, Speaking of Pack to the Future, MC Basketball PC asks, in light of the recent Pack to the Future podcast episode, give us a rundown of your top five cards. Uh... You know, some when I was planning my responses to these questions, some of them I really just blitzed through. Um, you know, and not that I rushed on them, but I, you know, the answers just came to me pretty quick. Well, this one not so much. I've thought about this question a lot. I have thousands of cards. There are a lot of nice cards that got left off of my list. Like, how do you leave an on-card Maravich auto off the list, right? Um, so it was tough. But here are my top five favorites that come to mind. Not necessarily the most valuable, just my favorites. So number one, yes, number one is the Pacers-Pistons five-on-five patch card. I talked a lot about that before. There's ten patches on that one. Really cool card. Always dreamed of owning it. Finally did. Um, Number two, I have my 2005-2006 UD Ultimate Ron Artest Logo Man Auto 101. 
Three and four could probably be interchangeable. They're both Reggie Miller cards, though. One of them is a Topps Chrome Final Piece NBA Finals Game Worn Patch number to 25. Just so, that card is just so significant to me. Um, the other is a 2005-2006 Topps Big Game Selective Swatch Reggie Miller Jumbo Patch numbered 101. And then card number five is the only non-Pacers card on the list. It is my 2016-2017 Panini Eternal LeBron James NBA Finals worn patch from his only Cavs title. That card just feels really important to me when it comes to the modern NBA narrative. Okay, last question. Havlicek stole the cards, wrote, What's your collecting in-game? Do you sell everything when you get old? Sell and buy a vacation house, pass it on to your children. We accumulate all these cards throughout the years, and it just makes me wonder why my, yours, and others plan to do uh, with the collection in the end. Well, uh, this is a great question. I don't have an end game right now, although that might change when I get older and you know there's a little more context or my life situation changes. You know, I'm the kind of guy that simultaneously wants to find every card I'm looking for while also never seeing the chase end. Um, I like the hunt. And if I get to a point where I know things are winding down, you know, I definitely want to make sure my cards get in the hands of people that appreciate them. I guess, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that's a child of mine in the future, but if they don't, they don't. You know, I can't hold that against them. Um, you know, maybe they want to collect NFTs. Um, if I have to sell instead, I I guess I'd love to use that to try and improve the quality of life uh, of the people around me. So either way, I just want people to enjoy them. This is a hobby. It's meant to be shared. And the good thing about this is I don't, you know, I don't have to wait until I'm dead or something tragic happens to do that. So I get to share them with you guys on a weekly basis via this show, via my YouTube, via social media. And in some cases, in person. So I don't want to focus as much on the end game. I, I just want to focus on the uh, the right now and maybe the a little bit into the future. But um, right now, I get to share all that stuff with you guys. For that, I'm very thankful. Know that I don't take that for granted. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to thank everyone that took the time to submit a question. I tried to respond to every question that I, um, at least the ones that I received by Tuesday. Or if someone asked multiple questions, I tried to at least answer one of them. Like I said earlier, this was the most I've ever answered on a single mailbag. 26 questions. If I somehow missed yours, I apologize. Or if you want me to elaborate more on something, feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support this show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this 
is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>